Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the TT Podcast. Our den week is over, three tough races, one monument, and now it's over to us to run back through the action. Joining me to do so is my co-host and all-round pedophile, Tom. Tom, how are you? That is an awful introduction. <laughs> I was good until I heard that. Uh, I'm not sure how I feel about it, but uh, yeah, thank I I'm, I'm left speechless by that. <laughs> do you know what? Do you know where that's come from? Um, obviously, we uh, announced a few episodes ago that we're going to think about doing a rebrand because of how uh, deceiving a bit the TT podcast name is. Uh, in so far as we do not speak about time trialing. Um, and so far, Tom, that is the one name that I've come up with. And we obviously cannot run with that. Uh, I think there might be a few question marks over it, but you'll probably get away with that. Just ped- throwing it in there at the beginning there. <laughs> I just, I'm just not sure people will want to buy the, uh, the merchandise of Wick. No. Yeah, it's got pedal far <laughs> written across the shoulders. Uh, less said about that, the better. <laughs> Otherwise, how are you? Are you well? Uh, I'm very well. Uh, I've got no internet in my house, as you know, so I've currently hotspotted my phone to uh, to record this so I hope that everyone listening appreciates the commitment and uh, if anyone wants to chip in to pay for my data charges this uh, for the next two weeks it's, it would be much appreciated on my end as well right okay well let's get stuck in then uh, before we have to start a crowdfunder for you um, Arden finished um, well for this season Let's start with the first race then. Amstel Gold. Uh, I will put my hands up straight away and be honest and say I didn't watch either of the races at Amstel Gold because I was too busy watching my favourite football team fail to record a shot on target in an FA Cup semi-final. So, uh, Tom, if you want to go ahead and lead the chat on this one. (laughs) Uh, That's all right. I I did tweet saying that uh, I'd been responsible for our social media that day because you had that game to prepare for. So... Everyone was aware already, but no two great races. Uh, It always is. I think we touched on it speaking to Eleanor last week as well, uh, because she said she was watching it. And it just lends itself to uh, a brilliant finish, especially, I think, since they've moved the finish back. It used to finish at the top of that final climb, the Kalberg. And since they moved it back a couple of K, uh, the same as it was for the World Champs course in 2012, it it does lead itself to the final four or five minutes, you know, as you crest the climb and then have that just dragged to the line it's really good and we've seen it a couple of times the women's race uh especially we saw Cassia Nieva-Doma I don't think I've pronounced that right and um Elisa Longo-Borghini do their best Julian Alaphilippe and Jakob Fulsang impression um marked each other out the race and handed it on a plate to Marianne Voss uh very exciting but incredibly tactically naive from I think Longo Borghini to be honest I think she was the one who was responsible for not doing any work once they did get over the hill and pull to the line and to be fair I should say uh, this the route this year was changed so it wasn't the normal drag to the line that it is but uh, they didn't come up the same hill but uh, yeah Marianne Voss comes in wins a sprint as she always will do uh, if, if she's allowed to be there with 300 meters to go. Well, this is the thing. It's a 217 kilometer long race. Uh, the men's edition anyway, just 38 climbs. Uh, obviously they go over the final one and go through the men's race was separated by a pixel and the women's race came right down to the line as well as you can, you're basically assured that every year with Amstel gold, uh, and it lends that final straight down the uh, that dual carriageway in where is it in Amstel? Is that a place? Or is that just a... Uh, no, Amstel is a river. 
that flows through Amsterdam. It is in Valkenburg. Okay, perfect. So that yeah. the camera angles really lend themselves to a chasing group there. And the riders obviously comply with that and say, hey, well, we're going to have to put on a show here. It's exactly what happened. Um, Elisa Longo-Borghini decided she would orchestrate that show. Uh, she was assured second place, uh, ended up coming eighth. Um, <laughs> but crucially, she did still beat Cassia Nervia Doma, who finished in 10th. So she has that. Yeah. <laughs> mm. It's. I think that's probably scant consolation. Uh, I don't. I really don't understand the decision-making process. It was, maybe she didn't think she could uh, beat Cassia in a sprint, but you, she definitely couldn't beat the bunch behind her in a sprint either. So I don't know why you wouldn't at least try and. You're guaranteed second. You might, you know, nick first if something happens. Instead, she opted for eighth. The irony of it all, and we'll come on to this later, is that. In Liège-Bastogne-Liège, Longo-Borghini was in the final group with Nervia-Doma at the end. And in the bunch sprint, she beat Cassia Nervia-Doma. So if she'd only backed herself in Amstel Gold, she'd have had a very good chance. I think she said recently that she's been sprinting for for town signs in training. So it's obviously something she's been working on, uh, just doesn't have the confidence with it yet. I don't know. She obviously, to be honest, she probably just made a mistake. Obviously, at the time, she thought she was doing what would give her the best chance to win you'd hope she was if she wasn't then there's serious questions need to be asked um but uh, she just got it wrong on the on the road on the day uh somebody who seemed to get it all right and was penalized by the finest of fine margins was fellow tom tom pidcock um he seemed pretty beat up about the fact he lost to the world's greatest wild van art I'm still not convinced. Oh, you're not? Oh, here we go. A bit of controversy. Uh, we've all seen it doing the rounds on social media over the you're last a week conspiracy or so. theorist on the podcast. Here we go. And there's Tom, there's go no ahead. conspiracy. We've got the photographic evidence. Um, they seem to have taken the photo finish from before the line. And if you, I mean, the overhead shot, the if you move it a frame forward to when their wheels are on the, I don't know. Um, but well, we'll just, we'll just every, move, we'll everything just move I, the goalposts until the person you want wins, shall we then, Tom? Um, well, have to move them a long way to get Mark Cavendish winning that race. <laughs> but <there's>, <laughs> uh, <laughs> They'd have to be out in Turkey or somewhere at the moment. But, uh, um, I think, it, well, from what I've seen on social media, people seem to agree that they've definitely taken the photo not on the line but there's nothing that can be done about it. Uh, Ineos seem to have accepted the ruling. Um, that there is no right of appeal. So congratulations to Wout van Aert. <laughs> yes, Wout. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it was a weird one. Obviously, uh, you probably don't want to win races in those circumstances. Well, maybe you do, actually. Maybe that's what really makes it really sweet. It's like a 93rd minute winner in football, isn't it? Yeah, that's blatantly offside. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's a good way to put it. <laughs> Um, right, let's move on from Amstel Gold because I feel like we're getting a bit irate on that one now. Yeah. Flesh Wallon was the, I guess if, if Amstel Gold was the appetizer, Flesh Wallon was the main course. If it's a three course thing, if there are three courses, then yes. Okay, the main course. Yeah, um, including the Mer de Huy. What do you think? Awful. Yeah. Awful. Oh. Oh, no, 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 no. Your pronunciation was uh, acceptable. 
Okay. Uh, the the climb itself. I think this is probably the third week in a row we've talked about it, but it's just hideous. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's a climb that Eleanor Barker last week described as, and I quote, like trying to scale the side of your house. Yes, and it's uh... it shows on the TV as well. Like I watch it and I'm grimacing, and I can feel the lactic acid building up in my legs, and all I'm doing is sat on the sofa, counting the seven chapels as they go by. What's yeah. that? If you didn't, if you didn't know, it's got seven little churches on the way up. It's also Does called, it? It's it's called the Rue des Chapelles or something like that as well. Um, which you speak French, I don't need to translate that for you. But <laughs> that makes um, sense. Yeah. Um, so that's a bit like the the chapels kind of act like the hairpins of Alpduez on this one. I have no idea. If you win, you get a chapel named after you. We would just be seven no. chapels called Van der Bregen, wouldn't it then? Uh, at the moment, yeah. I mean, never bet against her in this race. She just seems to have it every time. It's obviously suited. There's, it's We've seen the same in the men's race. Valverde's won five. That level of gradient over that length at the end of that kind of race just lends itself to a very specific kind of rider and if you're suited to it you know if you've just got that explosiveness you can get up it every year and run away from the field and i think julian anaphilippe's very similar so let, let's, let's con- yeah let's concentrate on anna van der bregen before we move on to uh little lulu um van der bregen obviously seventh i'm going to regret saying that now aren't i uh anna van der bregen seventh consecutive win up there Neck and neck, shoulder to shoulder with Cassia Nervia Doma towards the end. Cassia looked like she was giving everything she had. Um, well, you would after what had happened four days before in Amstel Gold as well, wouldn't you? Absolutely. Um, but Van der Bregen, every single time I watch her up that climb, she has this just like methodical kind of aura to her where she just, she's seated, head over the stem, just plowing, doing her own thing doing her own thing, knows that there's probably a certain number she can hear as she goes up. And obviously she has the data to back it up because she's got seven or well, six years prior to look back and say, hey, look, this is exactly what I need to do to win. Um, and she did it. I, I don't think she got out of the saddle until the last 100 metres where she just kind of kicked left Cassia. Well, you have to. And I think that's what we saw in the in the men's race as well. Um, it was obviously Primoz Roglic took the early running and people seem to underestimate that that climb you, you've got to leave it so late to make your move just because it is so steep it really takes it out the legs it's so hard to keep it to the line and that is what we saw in the men's race we saw Alaphilippe overhaul Roglic with 70 meters to go I think it was well this is the thing I think Roglic naively thought and crot this is big from me to start calling Primoz Roglic a naive tactician um, <laughs> but I think he naively thought that he could attack that climb as he had the climbs in Paris-Nice and the climbs he had in the little punchy climbs in the Vuelta that he's won. Obviously, it doesn't work like that um, with this one specifically because it is just so steep that you can't just kick with 700 metres to go, get five bike lengths and hold it. And it is, you have to remember these, you know, these one-day races, you've got 70k more in the legs than you would in a week-long or even a three-week-long multi-stage race. And it... (laughs) It's just tiring. Like it's hard. It's meant to be, but it's hard. <laughs> yeah. Good for Alaphilippe to win. Um both world champions. Yeah, both world champions won. The first time Van der Bregen and Alaphilippe have won a race on the same day since the uh the world championships. Which won't have been held on the same day. In the same event <laughs> since the world championships. 
Uh, fun stat for you. Another fun stat for you, Tom, is that Julian Alaphilippe set a new climbing record on the uh, Murder Wee. In two minute, what way? Two minutes the and time. 40 seconds. The time, yeah. Is that, have you been on Strava to have a look at this? I didn't see it on Strava. I just okay. typed in Alaphilippe climbing record, Murder Wee, and cross-referenced three reliable cycling news sources. Uh, okay, well, I'm going to check Strava after because if it's not on Strava, it doesn't count. We all know that. So, I have it on good authority that he beat Valverde's uh, best time by one second. That's all you need. Which, yeah, absolutely. It's good. We didn't see one pixel apparently in the race. So that's uh, not point. Was it not point not four seconds or something? Was it that Van Aert won by? Oh, I don't know the time. I thought it was something like not point three four millimeters or something. It was ridiculous, but yeah, narrow, very narrow. Yeah. Um, what I liked as well was Anna van der Bregen after the race came out and said, uh, next year I won't bother the girls anymore. It's up to somebody else. Oh, so she's not coming back. Seven's enough for her as it turns out. Well, she's retiring. She's going to become a... Yeah. She's going to well, join the uh, the backroom staff in the team car. Which I think was probably alluded to at Liège-Baston-Liège the following race when she... It wasn't, and a lot of people noticed it. It wasn't very subtle, but it was just seemed to be a sort of changing of the guard moment where she did all the pulling over the final, I can't remember how far it was, uh, off the final climb into the line though. Uh, select group got away. They were, they were, they had two, SD Works had two uh, team members in there, Van der Bregen and Demi Vollering. And Anna Van der Bregen, having just won three days previously in the world champions jersey, with everything she's got on her Palmares, sacrificed herself to give the teammate the win. Yeah, I think it was a, a 10 kilometer long lead out, which, uh, well, it's a very long lead out, if you ask me. <laughs> well, yeah, and I think we've said it before, I think we touched on it at Strade when they uh, they got the first two over the line, but the tactics that SD works and just the riders they seem to have available to them to carry out, carry out these tactics just spot on every time. Yeah, I think, and I want to, give a mention here to there is a new documentary series that's just launched called the run-up i don't know if you had a chance to watch it but basically it follows i guess the three biggest women's cycling teams which are sd works canyon sram and trek segafredo uh and it kind of looks at their preparations for liege baston liege from the point of right at the finish line of flesh and it interviews the riders straight as they come you know over the line how they're preparing for Liège, Bastogne, Liège, goes through the different riders, their characters, things like that. And one thing that comes up in it is, one thing that I noticed was obviously Anna van der Bregen has this very calming vibe to her. Like she's, mm -hmm. it's exactly the same. It's very methodical the way she talks about cycling and the way she approaches it. It's just like, yeah, we've got to do our thing. We'll race our race. We'll get there. We'll do our best. She also alluded to the fact that Demi Vollering, she thinks she's the kind of ultimate all-rounder coming through. And we've seen that. We saw that in the fact that Vollering set it up for Van der Bregen at Fleshwiller and brought her right to the bottom yeah. of the climb and then unleashed her. Then, as you say, the role's reversed three days later and Vollering's the one that's sprinting for the finish. Um, 24 years old, Demi Vollering. She raced Liège-Basson-Liège for the first time in 2019. Um, she looks a phenomenal talent. Yeah, she absolutely does. And I think Everyone seemed to know the way it was going to go. Uh, once that group got away, uh, it was obviously coming down to a sprint and unless Marianne Voss could catch up, which she couldn't because she, I think she was about 30 seconds behind off the top of the final climb and just went backwards. The group she was in went backwards from there. Um, 
it just seemed to be that's it uh you know sort of lights out for everyone else we know Vollering's got the best sprint we know how talented she is and that was the case well even then it's the tactics in the sprint as well it's obviously it's been set up really well then she knows in the sprint whose wheel to follow she follows van vluten well ever you knew van vluten was going to go early that's what that's her style she might not have the outright pace but she's obviously just a powerful rider um and so i think it takes a lot of sort of again tactical nails experience and patience not to try and chase after it immediately you've got to stay on the wheel you don't want to come out the slipstream too early and she obviously executed it perfectly i'm really excited to see how demi vollering progresses and develops next season with obviously anna van der bregen in her ear in these crucial moments the issue is with women's cycling is that they don't have these lengthy stage races and i think they would be perfect for vollering who is good over the mountains or good over you know the climbs can sprint always there in the final um I guess I the closest really you'll get is the is the Giro Rosa or something, isn't it? Yeah, and obviously this season, I don't know if she'd be leading it for their team. But no. uh, we'll see. Next season, next season is going to be hers. I think she could win the World Championships next season. That's a very early tip to get in. <clears throat> yeah, right. Everyone note that one down. <laughs> um, the men's race, Tom, I want to kick off our Liège-Basson-Liège discussions with an interesting stat for you. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk a lot on here about the big three, right? Julian Alaphilippe, Mathieu van der Poel, and the biggest of the big three, Wout van Aert. Um, I, I will call you out on this at one point. I just, I'm tired. <laughs> anytime we give race predictions, we always pretty much consistently name one of those three to win the race. And that's a fair assumption. Yeah? Yep. Or is it? Well, it would have been for the first two. Now, all three monuments we've seen this year have been won by someone else. That's interesting. Well, Milan San Remo was a was a real turn up for the books, and Jasper Stuyven. Yeah, and Tora Flanders. Tora Flanders. That's what I was trying to think of. Obviously, Paris Roubaix has been cancelled, and Lombardia, which is the best monument, comes later in the season. Uh... Flanders Van der Poel was beaten in a sprint by Kasper Asgren. That was very surprising. Uh, but, I mean, at least Van der Poel was present there. Stuyven took everyone by surprise in Sam Remo. Mm-hmm. And this time with Liège, was Pogacar who, uh, who took the win with his, with his tufts of hair pointing through the air vents in his, in his helmet. Less surprising, given that he's the reigning Tour de France champion and is a factor in just about every race he participates in. I, he could well have won. I think the rest of the field were very lucky that UAE Emirates had to pull out a flesh well on at the last minute because I think that is exactly the sort of climb that suits him. Well, I think this is, let's talk about that briefly. Obviously, they were ejected from flesh well on before the race started because they returned two positive tests. This is the same UAE team Emirates that boasted a lot at the start of the season about how they'd vaccinated their whole team and all the staff. Um, so it was obviously a false positive, but. Well, you can't. apparently. Uh, I read, apparently they were false positives because they returned negative tests afterwards as well. But the rules are the rules. Any positive test at any point, and you're out essentially. Yeah. Um, but what what they did next was crucial to Pogacar winning. So what they did next was they went. They were like, right, forget it. Forget flesh well on. We don't want your steep climb anyway. 
drove down the road to Liège and reconned the last 200 or so kilometres of Liège-Bastogne-Liège. I don't think that's, you know, some sort of amazing tactical insight. I just think that's intelligent, you know, but preparation. I, but I think that really benefited Tadej Pogacar. And I'm not sure he's ever raced Liège-Bastogne-Liège before, but at the end, he knew exactly how to follow all the attacks, the Ineos attacks, the attack from Michael Woods. He followed all of them, got himself to the finish line and then was very powerful there. Well, that's it. I thought Michael Woods looked on great form. He probably knew he didn't have to sprint, which is why he was attacking early, but he looks so strong. Um, <clears throat> Ineos, not so sure. They launched attack after attack and then just had no one left at the end, which seemed tactically a bit uh, bizarre. Obviously, Tom Pickock wasn't riding because he's decided to go off and do some mountain biking for a bit instead. And yeah, that's that group that got, got out to the front. Um it wasn't the same as in the women's race where I think there was an out and out favorite for the sprint, but um, yeah, we've seen Pogacar do that, but I know he won a stage at the tour where he uh, flat finish. He still seemed to have a pretty good turn of pace at the end. I think in that situation, you'd still back Julian Anna-Philippe over Tadej Pogacar. You would normally to be fair, <laughs> but, but glad, that's I'm glad not what happens. Um, Anna-Philippe's got some, uh, dodgy luck with Liège-Bastogne-Liège, I think. It's one of those races I think he's just not fated to ever win. I don't think last season's race was down to luck at all. It's completely his own fault. So don't really feel that feel the same on that one. No, you have to celebrate over the line. You know there's photographers there. But... <laughs> he's got a front page of L'Equipe the next morning that he's got to think about. He's still got the front page of L'Equipe the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> he just didn't get the race win on his Palmares. Um one salient point that came out of that race was David Godu. Now, yeah. David Godu, 53 kilograms in weight, mountain goat, contender for the polka dot jersey usually, and, you know, high mountain domestique for FDJ, beat Alejandro Valverde in a sprint, um, which I was delighted to see. Yeah, but um, a 65-year-old Alejandro Valverde. <laughs> Um, but I think more crucially, what this weekend has indicated is a bit of a changing of the guard at FDJ. Yeah, definitely. I think Godou is their man for the future. Uh, the fact that he's shown he can do it in classics as well is was surprising to me. But uh, certainly once you get into the high mountains and anything that involves some climbing, he, he looked very strong last season and only seems to have progressed since then. And it's the fact that his success there coincided with the fact that Thibaut Pino's pulled out of the Giro with a bad back. Um, if you're Mark Madia, you're thinking, right, which horse am I back in here? And it's not the one yeah. with the bad back. I don't know what David Godu's time training is like. And obviously at 53 kilos, as you say, it's he probably could do with uh, getting on the weights a bit or on the leg press, whatever it is you need to do for... <laughs> Uh, having a massive chest probably won't help him, but I don't know if it works for Filippo Ganna. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, his climbing ability just can't be questioned at all, can it? No, it cannot. He's very strong. Um, he, for me, will be their main man of the tour this summer. Um, it all depends now on how he can prepare for that until then. Obviously, he's never had the pressure of being the main. Well, at the Vuelta last season, really, but he was more stage hunting. It's different um, when you're French in the tour as well, isn't it? Very different. There's that pressure of whoever, who was the last French person to win it? The tour. Uh, Bernardino. Yeah, probably. it might have been. Let's Google it quickly. 
last French winner of the tour. I mean, this is elementary statistics that we should know, isn't it? Uh, last person, Bernardino, correct. Yeah, elementary for some. I got it right. Um, Tom, should we talk Tour de Romandie? We should, because as you've just mentioned, uh, elementary and a bit of lacking knowledge, I have, of course, done a little quiz for you. Um, I would call it a preview, but it's not a preview because the first stage happened today, a tiny four-kilometre prologue. I'll tell you what, Tom, this is the sort of stage that you and your brand new Halfords commuter bike, you could do it and still finish within minutes of the race leader. Uh, not in its current state because... Um, <laughs> What's happened? Oh... <laughs> Have you but, crashed as well? Have you got the TT podcast? I, I, I wasn't. I haven't crashed. I wasn't going to throw Halfords under the bus, but the uh, the way the bike's been built has is not what I was expecting because the brakes, the brake calipers are already rubbing on the rims. Uh, I don't think the gearing's right. I can't get it onto the bottom ring, uh, so I can get up and down the road to work. But I was expecting a bit more. You just have to carry it on your back. I just have to like. It's hard on the quads when the brakes are like half on the wheels already. I just I have to pedal so hard. No, it's like pedaling through sand. Yeah, so you're basically down- doing a cyclocross up to work. It's downhill on the way back, at least. <laughs> Go on then. Where's my quiz? Let's let's. It's is it time to embarrass Tom? It is, and I'm not. I don't think you're going to like this first question. Great. Um, right. Well, you frequently tell me that I'm too harsh on the riders for um, for basically saying that no one remembers who came second. Oh dear. Okay. So obviously last year's race was cancelled. Twenty nineteen race was won by Primoz Roglic, who came second. Honestly, mate, you could have asked me who came first and I still wouldn't know. It's the Tour de Romandie. <laughs> Primoz Roglic came first. I reckon second place. Right. Who was good in 2019? Could have been, you know, Richie Port, maybe? It was not Richie Port. I believe he's a former world champion, if that helps. A former world champion. Um, not, Mark, not Mark Cavendish. Rui Costa. It was Rui Costa. <laughs> Easy. Next question. Next question. Primoz Roglic has won this race twice. There are a number of other riders who have won it twice, but the record is three times held by who? And I'll give you a clue and say that his son is currently in the pro peloton. Ah. Right. I'm thinking Adri van der Poel, but I don't think Adri van der Poel would have raised the Tour of Romandie. It's not Adri van der Poel. Right. Who else has got a son in the pro peloton? Is it really obvious? Uh, not really obvious. I mean, the, the guy is just, he's, he's been a like one of the most professional domestiques you'll ever see in, in the peloton. He doesn't win many races, but he's been to a lot of Grand Tours. And... Do him and his son have the same surname? Yes. Oh dear. Can I get a first name of one of them? Uh oh. I mean, yes. Mm, no. No, that's far no, that would that would give it away. Uh so with the nationality. I believe his father, the father, won the Tour de France. Oh. I'm gonna say. And I'm not sure they're related. Stephen Roche. Stephen Roche is correct. Is he related and to Nico Roche? Yes, he's his father. Ah, that makes sense. <laughs> there you go. Good old Stephen. So now, you'll be glad to know the next one's multiple choice. Excellent. I just want to see which way you're going to go with this one. 
So it the race has been won by a Brit three times. What I want to know is who was the first British winner? Was it Bradley Wiggins, Chris Froome, or Tom Simpson? And they've all won it. I'm not saying. Because if they've all won it, I would assume Tom Simpson have won it before Wiggins and Froome. But well, you, this question. is a trap. Mm. And I'm going to watch you fall into it now. You could be double bluffing me. <laughs> this is what it is. These quizzes are all about the double bluff. <laughs> right. Let, let me you know talk my logic out loud because that is obviously how it's going to have to work on a podcast a medium that is primarily audio based. Um, Bradley Wiggins was Team Sky's number one man. Chris Froome was his domestique. Wiggins, if, if, it, if it is Wiggins, if it is one of those two, it would be Wiggins because Wiggins would have won it before Chris Froome. Yeah, but Tom Simpson, world champion. The race was first run in 1947, I believe. So I think, I'm not going to think about the cycling. I'm thinking about, I'm getting into your psychology, Tom. I think you want me. I'll beat you at the mind games. We don't have to worry about that. You want me to say Bradley Wiggins because I'm going to initially think it's Tom Simpson. Then I'm going to, then I'm going to think, no, that's a double bluff going to come back. I think you've triple bluffed me, right? So I'm going to think, Obviously, I think obviously it's Tom Simpson. I go back. I think could so be Bradley. What you're, think, what you're thinking now sense. is that Chris Froome's won it three times. <laughs> no, what I'm thinking now is I'm going to say Tom Simpson. It's the Final obvious answer. answer. It's the obvious answer. But is it the obvious answer? Yes, it is the obvious answer. Tom Simpson. Final answer. Bradley Wiggins. Oh. <laughs> what is the point anymore? Okay. Absolutely these, brilliant. The annoying thing is, I knew you were going to do a quiz on the Tour of Romandy, and I know that the way you do your quizzes, you go straight to the Wikipedia page and you look up who's won what and how many times they've won it and which countries won what. The next question is going to be something about which countries won it the most. And I never look it up. Oh, I've tried to avoid asking the same questions every week. So I'm afraid the next two questions aren't actually about cycling. Okay. Right. Well, I know um, so much about Romandy, a race that I messaged you earlier saying I thought was in Romania. So, yeah. So the next question. If it's anything Rom- to do with geography, then I am in hot water here. It's not. We're hopefully playing into you. It's a language question. Oh, okay. Romandy is, of course, the French-speaking area of Switzerland. We. Oui. What I would like to know is Switzerland has four languages. What are the other three? German. Is one of them. There's two more. There are two more. Italian. Italian. And English. No, uh, it is romance. How does that sound? Uh, it's like a weird cross between um, German, like because Switzerland's just where like the Germanic languages and the Romance languages meet. This is just some weird cross of the two, and it's spoken in like it's really not spoken many places anymore. Saint Moritz, I think, is the biggest place where they speak it, but you know, in the valleys high up in the mountains. Switzerland's one of those weird places and I'm sorry if we have any Swiss listeners that are listening to this that think this is completely wrong and obviously I know nothing about geography so I probably am but <laughs> it's one of those weird cultural places that it doesn't really have its own like strong cultural identity it kind of takes the best bits of the countries that surround it it does and obviously and the, the only thing anyone ever really knows about Switzerland is that they're neutral in everything hmm. um but it's also like because they've got those four languages and they're all recognized like if you swiss websites are dot ch which um 
because they call themselves like the Helvetic, the Confederation Helvetic whatever. Well, it's in Latin, basically. They use Latin and all official things like that to remain linguistically neutral, unlike the Belgians who just use French for everything. <laughs> so what does the CH stand for? Switzerland. Con no, Confederatio Helvetica oh, or whatever it is. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's um, I've actually learned something from this podcast. That's uh that's good. Now, hopefully you've heard of a few of these places. Final question. What is the largest city in Romandy? Is it Geneva, Lausanne, or Fribourg? It's not going to be Fribourg. You've Fribourg, just... of course, where the final stage of the uh, Tour de Romandie is this year, I believe. Or the penultimate stage. Okay. Well, I was thinking it's not going to be Fribourg, because that sounds pretty German-speaking. But uh... Uh, The German population of Switzerland would call it Freiburg. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, is are, are all three of these in Romandy? Yes. I want to say Geneva, but maybe Geneva's not that big. Well, let's go. Let's go Freeborg. I can tell you that of the three, Freeborg is the smallest. <laughs> Lausanne. <laughs> Lausanne is the biggest, which surprised me as well. I always thought Geneva was the biggest, but Lausanne is about three hundred thousand people bigger. There you go. And it's where the International Olympic Committee is based. That's all I know about Lausanne. That's a nice little uh, little tidbit on Lausanne. Yeah, but doesn't Geneva have the UN or something? Geneva's got a lot of the big ones. Yeah. Um, apparently it's a very expensive place to live because obviously all the people that work there are these diplomats on very high diplomat salaries. So they're Not happy to tax. pay 18 euros for a bottle of water. Yeah, that's the stories I've heard about Switzerland as well, Penn. The equivalent of £100 for a Chinese takeaway, things like that. <laughs> well... <laughs> Tom, I'm glad we've exposed my horrific knowledge of Switzerland uh, and slightly above average knowledge of cycling, I would say, in a humble way. Yeah, and just good for the listeners to know that I am living rent-free in your head. Um, so obviously, we will we be tweeting about Toro Romandie? A little bit, maybe, if something interesting happens. Yeah, but next week's all about one thing, isn't it? Exactly. The Giro d'Italia starts 8th of May. Next week, we'll be previewing that. Until then, Tom, where can people get in touch with us and see the absolute garbage that we post online? <laughs> uh, they can, as always, find us at TTPDCST, which is TT Podcast with no vowels, and that is on Twitter and Instagram. Wonderful. Until then, Tom, it has been an absolute pleasure talking with you, and uh, I hope you get your internet sorted by the time we do the, uh, the Giro preview. Uh, I won't. BT are coming around next Friday. Wonderful. Well, I'll speak yep. to you next time on your phone hotspot. Take care, man. All right. Cheers, everyone.